it's exposure. I think we have to continue to expose ourselves to thinking of others, which helps us then check and determine where are we at culturally and how, how can we evolve. You're listening to the Teak Nation podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we hope to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from members of our fraternity. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Welcome in for this episode of the Teak Nation podcast. Our guest today is Ryan Vessio, the Grand Grand Mateus of Tall Cap Epsilon. We're going to jump right in to culture, talking about his journey. For any of you who are at Conclave 2019, the 60th Biennial Conclave of Talk Up Epsilon, Frater Vessio presented along with Greg Roscoff, who's recorded a prior episode on the podcast. Greg talked about excellence. The presentation that happened at Conclave was built around culture, something that Ryan's extremely passionate about. So with that, welcome Frater Ryan Vessio. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation with you about culture. So you have a very unique journey in the fraternity. Typically, we like to start out our, our interviews by quickly giving the guests a chance to give some perspective on their journey through Teak. Your journey is unique because you were initiated at the University of South Carolina and then transferred to the University of Central Florida. We do have members that this occurs with. Some folks move on to unbelievable heights by moving into that new environment. Can you talk about your collegiate experience? Yeah, I went to the University of South Carolina and pledged in fall of 1998. I knew nobody on campus and figured that Rush would be a good way to make friends and, and meet guys. I went through Rush, uh, got initiated, and uh, had a father who was ill, and I was born and raised in Central Florida. So at the last minute, I had to go back to Orlando to help out with him. I was super excited, super charged up, because I had just been through initiation and started walking around the campus at UCF in, in Orlando, and it took me about two days to find the teaks there. And almost instantaneously, I became a sophomore preteness of an eight-man chapter and had a very different experience than I did at uh, South Carolina. I, you know, jumped right in and in two years we built that chapter from eight men to 60. And it was an interesting experience to double the size of our chapter every semester for three semesters and had a great time from UCF. Part of the success that, that was created by you and other members that you recruited and worked along as officers was focused around this this thought of culture. Why does culture mean so much to you? Well, you know, culture to me defines our identity by allowing us to live up to our core values. Uh, when, when I was that preteness of that small chapter, we realized that we didn't want to be like everybody else. And I think that that exemplifies who we are as teaks. We knew that we were just a little bit different we knew that we didn't have those stereotypes and those preconceived notions that a lot of other organizations identify themselves with. You know, I think culture is the, the best way we can live our common identity as teaks. And it's something that I'm so passionate about because I believe that culture is really going to be the tool that really carries us to not only realize what the expectation of excellence is, but really identify and live excellence in all aspects of our life. 100% agree. I'm interested for, for any of our listeners out there, let's say they're a part of one of these eight man, 10 man, 12 man chapters. What are tactics? What are things that you did when you were in that position to start to grow the momentum, further this culture that turned into 60 guys? Because people hear those stories and I think the first thing in their mind is that's amazing. 
The second piece is how in the world do they do it? I, we never accepted the position that we were in. We had chapters on our campus that were 100, 120, 130 guys. We knew that we were small enough to be mobile and, and attack things in unique places, but we, all, we never gave up. We realized that we wanted the biggest, best collegiate experience possible. That's why we joined a fraternity and not you know, the band club or something else like that. And we just never gave up. When there were situations that presented obstacles to us, whether or not it was interacting with other organizations, intramurals, identity on campus, we just found ways to innovate. We would take the rules and say, okay, what can we do that's something different than anybody else? Because if we're trying to be one of 20 groups on campus at eight or 10 or 15, we're never gonna compete. We looked and we realized that there were so many other men on campus that would be great fraternity men that might not traditionally fit that stereotype. And we went out and targeted those guys and it built a really, really great group. You know, one of the things for me is I initiated 20, it'll be 21 years now. Out of that chapter of eight, five of us are still really, really great friends. That's great. We, I, I had the opportunity a couple years ago to officiate one of their weddings. We've traveled all across the world. My family just spent the 4th of July with one of my frauders families in New York. You know, it's, it's the connections that you build when you're, you know, really taking your group and, and expanding it. Those are bonds and relationships that live on forever. And you just, you just can't accept the status quo. We just finished a grand council meeting earlier today, and one of the things that we talked about in the meeting today, and it was something I shared um, during the culture piece at Conclave, was Frater Reagan said, status quo is Latin for the mess that we're in. And when we accept what's given to us and don't push ourselves, then we deserve the mediocre product that, that we have. Well, and I think it's a great first lesson as we start our time together, which is if you are in that position of you're, you're a member of a chapter, maybe that's 20 men or less, not allowing excuses to get in your way and having an overall vision of what you want that to be. And it is going to be that. There's nothing that's going to get in my way. And that transcends, you see these lessons, not just in the fraternity and men like you who exemplify them, but also in businesses. You hear about companies that start up and no one's ever heard of them. They turn into companies like Starbucks or Uber or pick any successful organization. They don't start out that way. And a lot of it comes from a belief of what it can become versus what it is in that current circumstances. When we look at the fraternity as a whole and you evaluate its culture, what are aspects of Teak's culture that disappoint you? Let's start there. What are, what are areas that concern you as a member of the Grand Council that we should identify and work at every single level to improve? I think for me, the biggest issue with culture that I've seen in my almost nine years on the council now is, I believe largely we've been a fraternity of me instead of a fraternity of we. You know, we join organizations because we want to be part of something bigger and greater than we could ever be ourselves. And when we approach our fraternal experience looking at what do I get as opposed to what can I give, that to me is really living the expression of our founders and our core values. Too often, we, I think we focus on my chapter. So my chapter does this and my chapter has 
the best rush shirts or the best St. Jude event, or I'm involved in my alumni association. Uh, we have lots of really great opportunities to really get involved. I, I told you a moment ago about my friends from my undergraduate chapter during my time there. Some of my best friends that are teaks are the people that I serve with on the Grand Council. Professional staff, people you know, like you and, and you know, guys out on the road and guys back at headquarters. It's amazing that we have this unbelievable opportunity to engage and interact with each other. What brings us together are some of those common values and those bonds that we have. But the Teak experience is so much bigger than your local city or your local university or your local chapter or your pledge class or your e-board. I think that when we all can find ways to get better engaged on a bigger scale, you really live the experience. It's, it's almost like the reward for all that hard work that you put in as a collegiate building the chapter. And those opportunities are, are out there all over the place. Well, you make a great point. I think too many times, if you if you think about the the metaphor of just staying in your house versus there's an entire neighborhood of houses, there are all these other connection points that are out there. And for those of us that have been blessed to, to take advantage and utilize that, the experience we have versus the member who just joined at their collegiate chapter and never engaged beyond that, the amazing gap there is between those two experiences. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, you know, one of the one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed as a teak was the No Cancer Rally at, at, at Conclave this year. You know, we had probably three three hundred and fifty guys in that room. They had to have represented over one hundred and twenty five chapters. And for that hour, there were guys yelling and screaming and climbing on tables and getting their cell phones out and raising like $20,000 within that one hour time, right. you know, that, that to me really brought home the power and the scope of our organization. Um, it was ins inspirational. It was unbelievable to see. And, you know, I wish that more teaks got that experience. I, I wish that I would have had that experience more as a collegiate. I never went to Conclave as a collegiate. I didn't either. I wish that more of our alumni had opportunities to engage and see those sorts of things. And the thing about it is, is whenever we all get together, whether or not it's a PEC or at RLC, or it's just I'm traveling for work and I stop in at a local chapter like I try to do from time to time, I think that when we start engaging each other, um, we also learn who we are. And when we focus on identity, and when we focus on our culture, we need to be reminded of how great Teak Nation is, even if our chapter maybe isn't the best that it is. And by really getting out there and, and seeing the larger Teak world, I think that you add value to your membership. You spoke on the me versus we, and that would be the one piece you would want to change or one piece that's frustrating about our culture. What's a part of our culture that you're absolutely proud of? Our, our focus on philanthropy is unbelievable. You know, having now been on the council for two decisions on what our St. Jude commitment was going to be, you know, when we selected the previous commitment of the 2.6 million, we thought that it was gonna be a challenge. And we talked about what our numbers were and what we thought they could be. And achieving that goal well ahead of schedule was great. And when 
we made the decision for our latest commitment of $10 million in 10 years. It's, it's unbelievable to think that the Teak name and the Teak brand and the Teak culture of giving and service is going to be on display in one of the highest traffic areas in the bone marrow floor. You know, this is something that really has defined St. Jude's work in saving hundreds of kids' lives through bone marrow transplants. And we now get an opportunity to establish and demonstrate our legacy of service to not only Frauder Danny Thomas, who founded St. Jude, but all of the men that are out there all across the country raising money. You mentioned the expectation of excellence as we began the podcast. What is one lesson that's been shared to you from a mentor, a friend, family member around excellence and your ability to drive it through culture? I think it's always focusing on values, defining who you are. You know, your your culture begins with yourself. And when you can live your ideals, your values, they go to all aspects of your life. They go to your your school life, your work life, your family life. As you get older and you start to raise a family, you get the opportunity to really identify and exemplify your culture to others. I think a lot of it is knowing that everything you do influences and affects not only your internal culture of your own value set, but what other people think of you and how other people define you. And I think that you can take that model and expand it out through everything you're involved in. So if you are focused on your individual culture, that's the attitude that you're going to bring to your chapter. And when you're an officer, that's the value that you're going to bring to not only your local chapter, but to your uh, Greek system on your campus, your university, your community, Teak as a whole. You know, the other thing that I've learned is to always be laser focused on what your mission and your goals are to constantly remind yourself of this is where I'm going. This is who I want to be. This is where I want to be. These are the things that I want to do. And always be focused on that because when you lose perspective on where you're going, you end up lost in the woods. And, you know, it's often hard to get back on track. Well, you're right. That mission helps you to stay on path and chart your path. Another piece you spoke on there is about living every single day and everything you do towards excellence and also creating that consistency. I had a a mentor who once said, you don't get to choose what people remember about you. So make everything you do worth remembering, which essentially is saying you don't get to choose if someone's paying attention to you when you're in the supermarket or whether you're at work or whether you're with your friends. So you don't get to be a good guy on Tuesday and a bad guy on Wednesday or a good guy in the supermarket and a bad guy at work you need to find a way day in and day out to live that consistency and that mission of excellence. And to your piece, if you have that mission and understanding, that's going to make it very easy of what the flight plan is and staying on it consistently. Well, and I think that when you are resolved to be excellent, never apologize for seeking and striving to be excellent. Amen. Never apologize for hitting those goals and being successful. I, you know, I, I talk a lot with my, my fellow frauders on the Grand Council, and the amazing dynamic of what we have is, is we often mentor and support each other 
through all aspects. And as, as we set policy and directive, it bleeds into our, our personal lives. And, you know, we talk often about recognizing what it is to be successful and how can we celebrate our success. We should never, ever apologize for winning. And the times that we don't win, I think that we have to realize that sometimes we have to fail to succeed, but we can't allow that failure to influence our drive or our expectation for excellence. And when it comes to culture, there's two very important pieces. One is one is systems, and the second one is people. And whether it, it's a company, a team, a family, people are everything, right? Can you talk a little bit about recruitment and how important it is to culture? Because that, I think, is a way, if you're, if you're a group thinking about how can I turn around my culture or vice versa, how can I ensure I've already built a great culture? How do I ensure it continues Talk about how key of a role recruitment can play in that. I, I think it's essential. You know, there's a there's a, a speaker out there by the name of Jim Collins, and, and one of one of his most famous quotes is, "Great vision without great people is irrelevant." And we could have the best plan in place, we could have the best values in place, the best goals in place, but without the right people, we'll never get to that destination. I think recruitment is essential for defining and maintaining the culture that you want. We have lots of chapters out there that reach out to us, and I know they reach out to you and the staff who talk about, we need help. And we often hear from our chapters that aren't successful. We didn't have the help that we need. We didn't need the support that we need. How do we get rid of the bad actors? You do it through recruitment. You know, I think the great thing about a fraternity is, is it's such a, a living organism that you can really define and change the culture of your chapter in one in, in one semester. We did it. We did it at UCF when we were eight guys and rushed fifteen, and then we were eighteen guys and we rushed thirty. Our identity changed overnight. And what was interesting about it was, traditionally, we think that the leaders drive the vision. Well, for us. All of a sudden, we had more new members than old members, and we all worked as a collective to really say, okay, this is who we are, and this is where we're going to go. The only way we could do it is through recruitment. That's great. When you evaluate principles that stream across, whether it be companies, businesses, fraternities, family, what are principles that are relatable across all of those different industries to make us better in culture, to make us drive towards that excellence? I, I think for me, there's, there, there's five main principles. I think it's focusing on values. I think that values are the most basic item that we have as individuals or groups or organizations that define who we are and where we're going. I think that you have to define your mission and be very clear and able to know what your mission is and to share with others what that mission is. I think it's eliminating distraction. So often I think that when we try to define who we are, we allow outside influences to come in and distract us from being focused on the goal. If we want to change our culture to be more involved in service or academics, we can't allow distractions of Thursday night bar crawl or 
Saturday night social to always get in the way of, of what it is. Well, I think that's a great point. I know, I know you're going to continue to list. Yeah. I think that's a great point to, to bookmark, stop, have a, a, little, a brief conversation. And that is you see groups that have these lofty goals and all these things they want to accomplish. But if you started to break down the amount of time they spend towards the accomplishment of those goals, whether they be academic, whether they be related to intramurals, whether they be related to, right? And then you stack that against where they actually invest their time and invest their money. Many of our groups, as well as people in their personal lives, right? People say they want to be ABC, but then they invest their money and time in XYZ or companies. That's where you fall out of balance. And that's where we see groups stumble or folks stumble or companies stumble. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very important to realize that you may have two or three goals and there are different ways to get to them, but I think so often we work so hard to achieving a goal. You know, it's I want to be healthier. So I start on a really strict diet and I work out every day and I do that for weeks upon weeks upon weeks upon weeks and then I get distracted by something and now my diet's gone and I haven't gone to the gym in a week. And, and, and I think what's important to realize is it takes five days of positive effort to go forward. You could erase it in one night and go backwards. I mean, I think we see this a lot with risk. The Grand Council runs like a local chapter does, and we have different committees and things like that. And I've sat on the risk committee now my entire career. And so often we, we have these great groups that are just killing it out there. They're top teak chapters. They've got positive PR. They're known on their campus. And all those years of hard work and effort and dedication gets erased because we get distracted from where we want to go. It's just, it's almost scary that one little thing can really erase that. And when you allow those distractions to cloud your judgment, you know, at that point, you're, you're, you're handing over the fate of yourself and your group to outside influences that you can't control. Right. And I think the piece that's heartbreaking for us is that this is a relationship business and you you have connections and bonds with, with members and folks that you see their collegiate experience go up in smoke because of one decision that was made. People who are amazing human beings that their chapter gets shut down because of one night of bad decisions. You know, I had a I had the privilege for a few years to, to sit. Um, I was appointed to be chief grand justice of the fraternity. And during that time period, my my original initiated chapter, South Carolina, Rho Omega, came before the court for closure. And it was absolutely heartbreaking to me to have to be in charge of the system and the process that closed my home chapter all because of just dumb stuff. And they closed and we got them back open. And just a couple of years ago, I was there and on the council when they got rechartered and it was awesome and excited to see that happen. And then beyond the council and my, my home chapters closed once again now. And, you know, you think about that scroll and Everybody goes to that scroll and signs that scroll because they are just absolutely committed to growing and to being something greater and better. And they give so much of their time and their money and their effort. And then it all goes away. My, my chapter at UCF has been open continuously since 1971. 
and we talk about that with with the Zyota guys all the time that we've been able to stay open and operating for decades now and and as you know better than anybody else that's not always the legacy of a lot of our chapters and it's just thinking about i need to appreciate those who came before me to give me the opportunity to strive and and have this great gift which is which is our fraternity but just as important as that is I owe an obligation to the guy who's in middle school right now or high school right now. I've got three sons. I owe an obligation so that one day my sons will be teaks. And it's a different way of thinking. Absolutely. But that's where, again, I think that when we start thinking about we instead of me, we realize that we are, we're, we're one piece of a huge puzzle. So we were in the middle of, of your list there on principles <laughs> yeah, that I interrupted you. That's all right. So let's let's polish this list off. What else do you have? Well, I think that, and this kind of goes along with our conversation, I think one principle that's really important is always coming back to brand. We, 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 had, we had a conversation today during our grand council meeting, and the question was asked, what makes us special as teaks? And I think that that really gets back to our brand. When people see that house plate or people see those letters, what does it mean? What does it mean internally? What does it mean within your Greek system at your, at your school? What does it mean amongst everything else? What does it mean when, you know, there's guys in teak letters on college game day? And what, right. is, what does it mean to me when somebody walks into my office and they see my membership certificate that's, that's on the wall of my office? I think when you get back to brand, it reminds you of who we are at our essence and how can we continue to live those principles. Um, I think the last thing really to be successful is we have to have communication skills and we have to be able to communicate internally. All of us remember those horrible three, four hour chapter meetings where <laughs> yes. we're debating for an hour and a half what color the rush shirt is. And we often get to breakdowns. I just finished uh, my, my term as Grand Chrysophilus, and my responsibility was to be chairman of the Fraternities Finance Committee. And we're making these decisions controlling a budget that's over $5 million a year and deciding what are we going to put our money towards. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're doing a phenomenal job in expansion right now. And, you know, Zach Scott is out there killing it right now going all across the country an animal. as a madman, just, you know, you know, we, we invested in, in that position and said, all right, this is what we want you to do. You've got to be able to get out there and communicate who we are externally, because that's what's going to, that's, what's going to spur our growth. We talk about how exciting it is to have a, a fraternity of our size. Imagine our ability to communicate our principles, grow our membership, and be a 14, 15,000 collegiate organization. Like it just, it just blows my mind. Well, and communication is, is an item that it doesn't matter if it's, once again, family, business, fraternity, you can't over communicate. Starting from, from men like us who are lucky to be in lofty positions to the chapter preetness. To the, to the new member to communicate how's his experience going and what are other things the chapter could do to enhance their experience or he's the newest guy in the room, how we can go and get more men to be part of the fraternity and spread the gospel of Teak. Are, that person's going to be able to tell you, here are the things that attracted me. Here's the reason why I wanted to join and how are we going about, how are we going about recruiting those people? Are we sharing what we actually are 
or are we sharing a facade of what we are to get them in the door? And then we say, ah, it's actually ABC. Well, I think I think that when we remind ourselves of who we are as Teaks, communication should be second nature. It's easy to talk about something that you're passionate about. I love University of Central Florida football. I, I, I go to all the games. I've been involved with some stuff with the program. Like, I love it. I could talk about it for hours. You and I are both golfers and have golfed our entire career. We could talk about golf nonstop. Yep. You know, I think the other part of knowing who you are as it relates to communication is we often don't take advantage of the fact that because we have common connections and common values, when we communicate critically with each other, we're doing it from a place of love, a place of support. You know, we talk so much over the years on the council about what does love, charity, and esteem mean? And we've talked about this in regards to responsibility and how do we communicate when we think that people aren't holding up their bond? And some people, I think, that, that have a, a shorter vision think that it's, a, it's, it's an attack. It's the council coming down on them. It's nationals just wanting to close us. Um, to me, it's, it's really the opposite. It is because of our bond, we have an obligation to share with each other, look, we need you to do more. And these are ways that we want you to be successful. And I think that it's important when we talk about communication, it has to be a two-way street. We as leaders in the organization have to be communicating with our members, with our alumni, with our volunteers, with our staff. But we also need them communicating with us. We are all teaks, And just because we are given the honor and privilege for a short period in the teak lifespan, to be able to help influence policy and make decisions, we still need to be communicating with each other. Well, and I know you and I talk about this. One of the greatest ironies in Teak is that you're in this relationship as brothers and people are far more resistant to want to give critical feedback to someone who is their brother versus someone off the street. When if you truly love them, as you say, and you care about them, you should want to do both things, both give critical feedback more often to help them and show them you care, and secondarily, show appreciation and love for people that you have these relationships with. And if we, if we live that <laughs> more day-to-day, how much better our organization would be? Oh, it'd be unbelievable. I mean, you know, you're a father, I'm a father. We go through these struggles with our kids, you know, telling them, hey, you need to do better, you need to do more, you know. A C in that class is, is not... Not acceptable. That's, that, that's not who you are. And I think we have to do that on the fraternity level also. We got to show support for each other. But at its essence, and it's my belief, that our bond calls us to expect more from each other than other fraternity men on a campus or just other individuals in our lives. And we have to be able to understand that being critical is not about judgment. It's not about an attack. It's about me caring enough about you or your group or your chapter to want you to be better. And sometimes in the fog of war, we just don't see it. Right. It's about t- attacking the performance, not the performer. Absolutely. You still love the brother. You just want to improve the performance and some of the actions. Let's talk about 
something that people can take individually, and that comes down to systems and habits. What are things, if I'm a general member, or maybe I'm someone who's not even in the fraternity, and I want to learn from from Ryan Vessio about how I can take better habits and make myself better to reach my potential, what are, what are some actions you would have for me? So I think first and foremost, it's about developing and recognizing your support network. Nobody can get through life on their own. And, you know, developing those relationships, if it's with a spouse, if it's with your family, your friends, your frauders, realizing and being open and vulnerable enough to embrace the concept that sometimes you need a little help. You know, I think it's about having discipline in your life and discipline in every aspect of everything that you do. It is not not giving A-level effort in some aspects of your life and C-level effort in other parts. I think something that's really, really important, and I try to do it, and as you know, I, I wear a lot of hats and have a very busy life between kids and my job and my family and, and the fraternity and, and other commitments. I think it's really, really a great habit to take time for reflection. Take five minutes every morning and, That's great. and preview your day and take 10 minutes at night and reflect on where you were and, and where you could have won more or where, you know, things that you could do better to, to capitalize on the next day, I think is very important. Well, and it, it brings you back to home base, so to speak, for a second, just to reflect how was the day? How can I go attack tomorrow? Yeah, I think it's sometimes, you know, my, my wife and I joke about it sometimes because we often will see each other at seven o'clock in the morning and with, you know, her involvements and my involvements and family and going here and going there, a lot of times we may not get that check-in till 8.30, 9.30 at night, but it's really, you know, it's important for us and it's, it's, it's grown, you know, our family dynamic and our family relationship to have that kind of check-in. I do it at work every morning. The first thing I do when I get to my desk is reset and say, okay, what's on the agenda for today? What are my high functioning items? You know, where do I need to be excellent today? And I think it's, you know, I think the other part to it is also giving yourself a little time to relax and unwind that we, we take things so serious sometimes that we just allow things to accumulate and build up and build up you know, you can only put so much flour in the sack. And sometimes you just got to take a deep breath and realize that everything's going to be okay and recollect and then go back and get at it. When it comes to creating a high level organization or becoming a high level person, how important are standards and accountability? Accountability is absolutely essential. You know, I, I work as an attorney and for almost 15 years, I worked as a criminal prosecutor, most of that uh, prosecuting homicide cases. So to me, accountability kind of takes a little bit of a different perspective than I think it does for a lot of people. I think that having a good culture requires us to have high standards and to keep them. If we're not accountable, first of all, to ourselves, then what are we doing being involved in things? At the end of the day, you're the only person who knows what's in your head. You're the only person who knows where you're thinking. And you've got to be realistic with yourself. I think that through personal accountability just breeds accountability within our structures. If it's your chapter, if it's your family, if it's your friends, if it's a thing that you're involved in. To me, it is one of the most important 
tools and values that you could have to be successful. We talk many times, you and I, about what is on your walls and how there's vital importance what's on your walls. Can you breathe some life into that as well as talk about what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, and how vital those items are? I think they're crucial because it's a constant reminder internally of what you surround yourself with. I I just changed jobs recently and last week put all my stuff up on my walls in my office and I spent a lot of time in my office. And, and, you know, when you walk into my office at the firm that I work at, you get a very good sense of who I am. You see a UCF panoramic of the stadium. You see my diplomas of of the degrees that I have. My my grandfather worked uh, as an engineer for NASA and General Electric back in the rocket days of Mercury and Gemini and Apollo. And one of the items that he had that I have on my wall in my office is a, a break room poster from Apollo 11 that says, don't let them down. And it's the pictures of the astronauts. And I've got a, a, a painting from my father's office. My, my dad was a car mechanic and eventually became a service manager and had this gigantic painting on his wall, which was dumb in a car dealership service <laughs> department. But, you know, it's a connection to my family and a reminder of the past. I think that the things that we, that we read and watch, you know, it's exposure. I think we have to continue to expose ourselves to thinking of others, which helps us then check and determine where are we at culturally and how, how can we evolve? We touched on communication and some other aspects that I know are of vital importance to you are innovation, humility, training and education and celebrating victories. Can you talk about those aspects? I know those are maybe four different quadrants there of of items, but I also know they've been vital to your success as a human being and and how much you have found at such a young age and what you have done, especially in the area of law, but also the impact you made on the fraternity. Share with our our listeners out there how they can take those those four quadrants and put them into action. When you talk about innovation, um, you know, Steve Jobs said, innovation distinguishes a leader from a follower. We've been a leader as teaks in the Greek world because we haven't accepted the status quo. We've we've pushed the envelope in lots of areas, whether or not it's Title IX, the It's On Us campaign, dealing with sexual assault in the White House, everything that we're doing with St. Jude. I mean, we just, we just made the largest philanthropic pledge of any fraternity ever to St. Jude. Like, that's an amazing... It's an amazing. It's yeah. unbelievable. You know, I think that... When you innovate and when you push the envelope, it's super important to have that level of humility. St. Augustine had this quote, and he, and he said, Do you wish the rise begin by descending? You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundation of humility. It's very easy for us, especially focusing and performing at a high level, to get a very big ego and opinion of ourselves. And the reality of it is, we are one bad decision away from falling completely down the mountain and being back in the valley. Exactly. You know, I think that training education is, is so important to culture. It helps us recruit better. It helps us stay current. You say this all the time. As a fraternity, we're in the people business. And we've got to know what's going on out there. We've got to be able to identify how can we help people along the journey? And I think we do that through communication. I think we do that through 
identifying and focusing and messaging nonstop on the great things that we do and to celebrate all the accomplishments that we have. What's the final message you have for our listeners and members of this fraternity that you love so much? I've had an unbelievable experience being involved in the fraternity, starting as a, as a collegiate preetness and being a CAC chairman and being a GPA and being on the council. Um, you know, every, every time I focus on the work of the fraternity, I'm, I'm honored by the confidence and the support that this organization gives me. We as Teeks have a very, very valuable, precious gift. And I just hope that we can always be focused on living up to the legacy of the people that came before us and ensuring that we always have a better product in the future for the next generations of Teeks. Well, Teak is lucky to have an amazing legacy. They're even even luckier to have you as a member of our leadership team. I've been lucky enough to call you a friend and someone who's made a, a great impact on me, but someone who every day wakes up committed to how we can make the fraternity better, how we can create a better experience for our collegiate members, how we can do more for our alumni members. So Ryan, thank you for joining us on, on this episode of the Teak Nation podcast. I appreciate the opportunity.